0: The text for this morning's sermon, uh, brothers and sisters, boys and girls, is found in Psalm uh, 104, stanza of verse 23. So let's read that again. Then man goes out to his work to his labor until evening. After the sermon, we will respond with singing Psalm 104, stanzas one, six, and eight. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, boys and girls. Here we are gathered together on the third Lord's Day of September. Summer vacations are behind us. School started for the children and young people. College and university started again. The regular congregational activities also are beginning again. Catechism classes, study societies, home visits. We just had Labor Day and a wonderful church picnic, days that typically mark the end of summer and the beginning of another season of hard work. Work is good. We were created to work. After the Lord God created the world and everything in it, He created man and placed him in the world. To do what? To enjoy creation, but also to work in it. Yes, we were created to work, to work for him. As Paul said in Ephesians 6, we are to work wholeheartedly as if we were working for the Lord and not for man. Let us this morning listen to what the word of God has to say about our work our labor. I preach to you this theme. Our Creator calls us to work at our jobs as if working for Him. There are three points. One, the obligation of labor. Two, the idolatry of labor. And three, the Lord of labor. Psalm 104 verse 23 states it as a fact that man works, man being mankind, including men, women, young people, and children. We get up in the morning and we go to work. We work until evening. The Lord God has given daytime for us to work in and the dark of nighttime for us to sleep. This was very true before the days of readily available artificial light. People got up at dawn and went to bed at dusk. Now we have the blessings of artificial lights and heavy blinds, and we live in a very complex society. The business of modern society goes around the clock. There's shift work. Many work at night and sleep during the day. There's nothing wrong with that, of course. It's the society we live in, the state of our present world with its increasing complexity. In the days in which Psalm 104 was written, there was no electricity, there was no artificial light. Daytime belonged to man, and night belonged to the wild beasts. As Psalm 104, verse 19 and following says, the sun goes down, God brings darkness, it becomes night, and all the beasts of the forest prowl. The lions roar for their prey and seek their food from God. The sun rises and they steal away. They return and lie down in their dens, Then man goes out to his work, to his labor, until evening. And even today, although not absolutely true for every person, the norm is that we work during the day and sleep at night. The fact that we work, that we spend the day working from morning until evening, the psalm states that fact within the context of speaking about creation, about how God created everything and in his providence sustains, upholds, and governs it. Psalm 104 is like a poetic version of Genesis chapters one and two. It's the account of creation put to psalm. In Genesis one and two, we read about how God created the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, about how God created man and woman, placed them in creation, and gave them work to do. Psalm 104 is a poetic version of that account. It praises the Lord God for his greatness, splendor, and majesty. God stretched out the sky like a tent. He rides on the clouds and the wind. He established the earth, covering it with water. He made the land emerge from the waters, mountains, valleys, forests, and fields. He created the animals, the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, the fish and sea monsters, and he made man. He made water flow from the rock into streams and rivers, water that both man and beast could drink, water to make the grass and the plants grow, grass for cattle, and fruit and vegetables for men. God made the earth produce wine and oil for man to make his life pleasant. God created the seasons. He governs his creation. He ensures there is nighttime for a man to sleep and daytime for him to work. God is an active God, a working God. He is high above his creation. He is the creator. Around us is his creation. And yet, he is not far away or remote from his creation. By his power, he dwells within his creation, he has placed man in his creation to work and to enjoy it. Man's obligation to labor in God's creation is written down in Genesis 1, verse 26 and following. God made man, male and female, in his image. God put him in charge of everything he had made, fish, birds, livestock, meadows, mountains and forests. God blessed man and woman and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. In the next chapter, we read about how the Lord God planted a garden in Eden. It was a beautiful garden. He put the man he had created in it to work it and to care for it. And in the area around the Garden of Eden, God placed gold, spices, and precious stones for man to find and use. Sin brought a terrible change to this all. Not to the obligation to work, but to the quality of working. After Adam and Eve fell into sin, God said, Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return." The command to work remains, but now pain and frustration were introduced into the working world. And ever since, we've had to work. Even in the midst of frustration, in the sweat of our face, we must work. The Apostle Paul speaks about this as well. In Ephesians 4, he says that Christians must work. He tells the Ephesians to do something useful with their hands that they may be able to share with those in need. He had to be very firm with the church at Thessalonica, with some of the brothers and sisters there. Some of them had gone on strike, not for economic reasons like so many do today in their lust for more money, no, for religious reasons. They thought that the Lord Jesus was going to come any day or week or, at most, in a few months. And they thought this excused them from work. So they quit their jobs. They quickly ran out of money, of course, and could not buy any food. So they went to those of the congregation who were still working and earning money, and they asked them to share their money and food. Paul admonished these members of the church there. He wrote in 1 Thessalonians 4, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business and to work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anybody. It seems that the message did not get through. So in his second letter, Paul wrote about this again and more strongly. He wrote in 2 Thessalonians Thessalonians 3, if a man will not work, he shall not eat. We hear that some among you are idle. They are not busy, they are busybodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the bread they eat. So the command is there to work. Now it is true that there often are cases where a brother or sister for medical reasons cannot work for a while, or because of health reasons is disabled for life. These are exceptional cases. The Bible teaches very clearly that the church is to care for such members, but the norm is that we are to work. There's an old proverb that says, the devil tempts every man except an idle man who tempts the devil. An idle man, a healthy, able-bodied, lazy man who spends day after day doing nothing tempts the devil to move in for the kill. At the beginning of a new season of work, brothers and sisters, boys and girls, let's keep in mind the obligation to work, whether we work in the home, the marketplace, at school, whatever work we do, let us remember the obligation to work, to labor in creation. In that spot, you've been placed, nurturing and developing some aspect of God's world to the glory of his name and the good of your neighbor. Thank God for the work he gives you to do If you suffer unemployment, ask God to provide you with work. Pray about it, keep trusting in the providential care of your heavenly Father, and don't give up looking for work. Let us also be active in this new study season, in attending the catechism classes and diligently applying ourselves there to the study of God's word and the confessions of the church in joining and participating in one of the many Bible study groups that are available in our congregation. Let us be active with these things, beloved, to the glory of God's name and the good of our neighbor. Work is an obligation. It is a command. We are to work and work hard, but we must make sure that we are not so consumed by our work that we make our work an idol. And that brings us to our second point, the idolatry of labor. The idolatry of labor. God placed us in creation to work in creation, but we may not begin to worship creation. We must worship the creator, not the creature. Paul spoke of that in Romans 1. He speaks about, or rather against those who do not glorify God or give thanks to him, but who glorify the things around them. We may not be idle, but we must work, but neither may we make an idol of our work. This is the danger for the over-industrious fellow. He works and works at the cost of family and at the cost of the call to worship God on the Lord's day, because of greed and the desire for more, for material gain. The desire for necessary relaxation, rest, and refreshment disappears. The Lord calls you to work, but he also calls you to raise your family if he's given one to you. That takes time. A big investment of time, more time than money. The Lord calls us to be involved in the communion of saints, to function as the body of Christ, helping and supporting each other. Again, that takes time. We all need to invest time into the communion of saints, the development of our church life. The Lord calls us to lay aside our regular work on the first day of the week to gather together to worship Him. I spoke about that last week, the call to worship our Savior on the Lord's day. That calls for choices to be made. We need to be determined that we are going to heed that call. We need to sleep. The workaholic, the one who has made an idol of his labor, thinks that sleep is for sissies. Listen to Psalm 127. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Studies argue that the average person living in Western civilization is sleep deprived by hundreds of hours per year, thanks largely to inexpensive artificial light. You can keep the lights on and just keep working until dawn if you want, but it's not good for you. And if you've made an idol out of your work, you're worshiping a false god. The Lord Jesus once told a parable about a man who made an idol out of his work and his possessions. He was a farmer who, one year, had a bumper crop. His barns were not big enough to store the yield, so he tore them down to build bigger ones, ones that could store all of his harvest. He was greedy. He was in love with his possessions. He idolized his work and its product. On that very night, the night he had bowed down and worshiped his success and his goods, he died. The Lord ended with This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich towards God. A good warning for us, beloved for us who embrace the Protestant work ethic. We are called to work, even work hard, but in the midst of our activity and hard labor, we must always remain, first of all, rich towards God. This life is not about storing up things for ourselves, but in serving God and our neighbor. And that brings us to the last point, the Lord of labor. God is the Lord of labor. He himself labors. Psalm 104 is about the labor, the work of God. Exodus 20 verse 11 says, In six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and he rested on the seventh day. And yet, after he finished the work of creation, he stayed very involved with it. See, Lord's Day 10. The Lord Jesus said that once. He said, My Father is always at his work to this very day. God himself works. It is ungodly for us, not to work, if we are able. Godliness and laziness cannot coexist. The ancient Greeks pictured their gods living far away in Olympus, drinking their nectar, pursuing their own pleasure, but aloof from and unconcerned with the affairs of men. How different the one, only true God. Many think of God as kind of an absentee landlord who has made the world and now ignores it. This is not the God of revelation. God has revealed himself as a God who is busy, still working in creation. Our God is an active God, an ever-present and mighty worker in the world. There's a story about Napoleon's defeat in Russia. Napoleon was a supreme military genius, but he forgot the laboring God. He forgot about the snow and the frost in Russia's winter. He sent his mighty army into Russia, and it was decimated by the cold and the snow. With his powerful army ruined, he is quoted as having said, God Almighty has been too much for me. Man tries to run God's world. Dictators and politicians forgetting that God Almighty is in control. Our Father is working still to this day. Let us not forget that. Sometimes it seems that the forces of evil are in control, but it's not true. No creature can move unless God allows it, and God is especially busy in His saving and redeeming work. His Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, came as the perfect representation of the working God. He came to redeem us from sin and the evil one and from vanity. And this is not just a matter of saving our souls. No, He saves our lives completely. Body and soul, He redeems us. And this is not just a a Sunday thing either, but the redeeming work of Christ touches our entire lives, Sunday, To Saturday. He redeems us for himself. He is our Lord, the Lord of our lives, of our labor as well. He himself worked while he was on earth. He was known as Jesus the Carpenter. By having a daily job such as carpentry, he sanctified our daily labor and the work of our hands. He is our Lord and he is our. Example, our model. He and his heavenly Father are the model for our work. We work for him, for God who has redeemed us. As Paul said in Ephesians 6, we are to work as if we were working for the Lord and not for men. Whatever your daily job, you are to work for the Lord. And so our work, whatever it may be, at school, college, or university, in the marketplace, at home, it is holy, All work is holy. We have Martin Luther to thank for teaching us this. He attacked medieval monasticism by teaching that all work is divinely ordained. You don't have to become a monk or a nun, a priest or preacher to serve God. Dr. Luther taught that even the servant cleaning floors in the rich man's house mops to the glory of God. Since Pentecost, God dwells in us. We are his temple, collectively and individually. The Spirit of God dwells in us, us whom Christ has redeemed, body and soul. We are holy to the Lord. As Zechariah prophesied in his last chapter, the day has come where there is no longer a distinction between cooking pots and sacred bowls, but all is holy. Every pot in Jerusalem and Judah is holy to the Lord, said Zechariah. All of life and every day is holy to the Lord. We need to remember this, brothers and sisters, boys and girls. Whatever good and legitimate work or study we do, we must do it as serving the Lord. All of life, including our daily work and study, is holy to the Lord. A Christian student asked, How can I serve Christ at school? First, by studying hard. You are called to be a student. You have gifts from God for studying. You are not studying just for yourself, but for what you can eventually give to others through your study. Now, study. A mechanic asks, how can I serve Christ in my garage? By getting your customer's car back on the road, running as well as it possibly can. A young mother may ask, how can I serve Christ in the home? By providing good food and clean clothing for your family and a healthy, happy environment for them to develop in. You get the point. The examples can be multiplied ad infinitum. Whatever work we do, we do it as if we were serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Then we will be found doing our work to the glory of our God and the benefit of our neighbor. And so, as we begin a new season of work, let us be faithful, brothers and sisters, boys and girls. Let us be faithful and diligent in all the good things we will do. Let us study or mop to the glory of God. God will prosper our work, our labor done unto the Lord will not be in vain. We will go out, to our work, to our labor until evening. And when, at last, the evening veils of life enshroud us, and we, worn out by this life, fall to the ground, all worn and rent, the Lord will take us to the mansion he is working at, that he is building, the heavenly house of the Father, where we will be with our Lord forever, where we will be at rest to praise and enjoy our God forever. Amen.